0: Well, good evening. I want to say good morning, everyone. I'm in Sunday mode. Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, Obviously, I am not Terry Fakes. Uh, If this is your first time coming, please come back next week. We'd appreciate it. Terry is out on some incredible kingdom mission somewhere in the world at an undisclosed location. Uh, but, But I tell you what, I'm very excited to be here with you all tonight. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible, Habakkuk. It's a book about suffering and pain and evil, which should make you worry about why. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, but we're gonna get through that tonight. Uh, before we get in, let me, let me pray for us. If you don't mind, uh, bow your heads with me. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you that we're able to come here in this place today, in this safe room that we can just uncover your word. I do ask that you would be with everyone here in this room. It's a heavy topic And I know that people here today are suffering, have suffered, will suffer. I know that evil is in our midst, and that's a real impact on us right now. But we also realize that there are people all over the world who are suffering as well. We ask that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, be with those who do not even know you yet. May you provide for those who seek. We ask that you be with those who are suffering from the wildfires going on right now, who have lost so much, We give this time to you, and Holy Spirit, I ask, that you would impact each and every one of us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a story I've told before in some setting, and I've been here long enough now that I really forget all the various stories I've told. Uh, But this one I know I've told at some point in time. Whenever my son was three years old, he came to me and he, he said something fairly profound. And at three years old, kids aren't really putting together sentences very well. So the fact that he came to me and said something profound, I think it's a pretty cool thing to begin. But he comes to me and he looks up at me and he goes, Daddy? I go, yes, son. He goes, Jesus is God. And I looked back at him and just overwhelmed with pride. At three years old, my son is understands the secrets and the mysteries of the Trinity. I mean, I I just couldn't believe it. And so I had already planned out his future. He was gonna be a great theologian. I had seen God using him all over the globe. I just seen this vision of what was to come. And as I was having that moment, he looks back at me and he goes, and daddy? I go, yes, son. And he goes, I am Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So my hopes and dreams for my son were crushed at that moment in time. But five years later, at the tender age of eight, he redeemed himself. Five years later, he said something else that I'll never forget. He was in Sunday school right here at Crossings, and some of the Sunday school teachers were asking all the kids, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And so the kids were all responding. Most of the kids don't even know the various books of the Bible yet at that age, but the ones who did know some of them, they said things like, well, Genesis. Somebody said Matthew. You had that weird kid in the room who called out Revelation. You know, you, you... you had that, but they, they came to my son and they go, well, Easton, what, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And he goes, Habakkuk. And so obviously the Sunday school leader went to check their table of contents, make sure that was a real book of the Bible. <laughs> but they go, well, why is Habakkuk your favorite book of the Bible? And he said, well, because in Habakkuk, Habakkuk talks to God and God answers him. And honestly, I can't think of a better way to sum up this book. Habakkuk has an intimate painful conversation with God, and God answers him. This is a story of evil, it's a story of suffering, it's a story of pain. And I don't want you to leave here today just learning about this story, I want you to learn about the story but also learn how to practice something that Habakkuk practiced that I think you can use today if you are suffering, tomorrow if you are suffering, or well into the future when you undercover a, a dark time in your life. I want you to end with something you can hold on to during that time. But we're gonna get into the lesson and with every book of the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, I always like to ask a few questions uh, about what's going on during, in the Bible at that point in time to make sure we situate ourselves in history and, and just understand what's happening. Whenever you turn to Habakkuk, what you'll find is there's a number of things going on. Uh, We always wanna know what's happening in the overarching story of the Bible. We wanna know what's happening to the people, who who is the author talking to and sending that message to, and who's the big geopolitical power. In this story in Habakkuk, there's a lot happening. Habakkuk was a prophet, so someone who would be a messenger of God from about 640 to 600 BC. Uh, And during this time, a number of things are happening. Uh, Habakkuk is in the southern kingdom of Judah talking to those people. If you remember about 100 years prior to the time of Habakkuk, the northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes of the north had been overrun by the Assyrian empire and they'd been scattered. If you ever hear the 10 lost tribes of Israel, they'd been scattered by the Assyrian empire. All that really was left was that southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk is probably writing this story around 605 to 612 BC Uh, We know that based on the context of what's going on. And during that time, 605 to 612 B.C., a number of things are happening. The Assyrians, who had been the big power player in the north for a long time, they're starting to fade in power. And there's a new rising power in the north who's starting to combat them, the Babylonians. In about 612 B.C., I think it's 612 B.C., Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, a character in, in biblical history that you know well, Nebuchadnezzar defeats the Assyrians in Nineveh and captures the capital city of the Assyrians. And then in 605 BC, the Assyrians and the Egyptians kind of make this big last ditch effort to really combat the rising power of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar defeats them there. And that cements the Babylonians as this major political military power uh, in the region and honestly the world at the time. So you see the rise of Nebuchadnezzar and you'll see that play out in the story of Habakkuk. But then in Judah, something else is happening. While all of this is playing out around them, See, Judah has suffered for generation after generation after generation with just bad kings. And when you have bad kings who do not lead well, the people do not follow well. You have kings who have gone astray and they've led their people astray. Really, really bad kings. But then there's this one shining glimmer of hope with King Josiah. Who's happening all around the same time frame? And Josiah brings reforms to the people. He brings back the word of the word of God. He destroys the temple. He destroys the high places, the idol worship that's going on. There's like this hope for the people of Judah that maybe things will get better. Maybe we will go back to where we once were. Maybe we will be faithful yet again. But then Josiah dies fighting the Egyptians in this battle between the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, all that's about to rage. And after Josiah, Judah has king after king after king that are inept and corrupt, and the people just lead astray. And so if you put yourself into the mind of Habakkuk, I want you to really empathize with Habakkuk before we get into the text. Things are not going well, The people are not being faithful to God. They are corrupt. They are perverting the law. They are perverting justice. They are seeing the Babylonians rise. There's fear about what that will mean, how it will change all the dynamics. They see the writing on the wall. We'll actually get to the writing on the wall later. But but we see all this playing out and Habakkuk is in despair. I mean, he's really crying out to God. He doesn't know why all this is happening. He was hoping for something better. And so in this moment of desperation, we see Habakkuk cry out to God. And so chapter one of Habakkuk uh, reads this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask today, because I told you I wanted us to practice something, I want you to leave here with something you can practice, I'm going to ask you to participate with me during this class a little bit more than you may be comfortable with today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to read along with me a few times, we're going to have the time of prayer at the end, we are even going to have a time of cello at the end. It's something that Terry Fakes has never brought you before, right? <laughs> so... We're gonna participate in this a little bit. The first thing we're gonna do uh, is we're going to read this text together. So if you could, just feel free, read out loud with me. I'll kick us off. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's losing everything. You see, he's, he's complaining directly to God, and by the way, God doesn't get mad at him for complaining. He never does. We see that over and over in the Bible, but he's losing everything. He sees this, and he has this primary complaint against God that you see in that text, his complaint is this. We're suffering. We are are suffering the impact of evil in this world. And are you just idly looking at this? Are you just idly standing by allowing all this to happen? It's a legitimate complaint. As a pastor at Crossings Community Church, it is something I hear from you all often. This is a real thing that we deal with today. It was not just in Habakkuk's time. And I wanna really wrestle with this for a little while in this lesson. This this specific complaint and others like it. Habakkuk's worried that God is just not doing anything about the suffering they're dealing with, which is, is a complaint we have. But with our modern ears today and our modern minds, when we think about the issue of evil in this world and its relation to God, we have a number of other complaints that build up to having this as a foundation. We actually have to start at a deeper level to make sure we understand this before we can even get to Habakkuk's concern about God being idle whenever evil exists all around. And the first complaint that that I hear often is this. It says, does the existence of evil prove that there is no God? Does the existence of evil in itself, the fact that suffering and pain and all this exists, the unrighteousness all throughout, does it prove that there is no God? And I want you to see Habakkuk's not asking this question. In Habakkuk's time, he's never gonna be confused if there's a God or not. He knows there's a God. But in our time today, we see evil, we experience suffering, and our first thought is, there must be no God. And I empathize with this a whole lot. There is a... uh, Photographer that I follow, uh, Sebastião Salgado, and he was a very well-known photographer. He, uh, you all probably have seen his photographs. He became very famous by taking pictures during the uh, genocides and civil wars occurring in Africa in the early '90s. You've probably seen his photographs, and there's this great documentary that he has called Salt of the Earth, and I've watched it a number of times. And I remember during his interview as he's going through that documentary, one thing he says is he looks right at the camera and he's talking about some of the horrible things he's seen and experienced. He's seen you know, kids being trafficked. He's seen just absolute starvation, rape, everything you can imagine. He's seen and experienced with the people. And he looks at the camera and he goes, I've seen so many things. There can be no God. There can be no God. He looks at the suffering of the world and he goes, there's no way God could exist and this exists. And like I said, I'm I'm sympathetic to what he's saying because it's an emotional response. He's seen things that I've never seen before. One of our our global missions pastor, Angela Presley, just went on a missions trip and was right in the depths of a facility that grooms hundreds of kids at a time for sex trafficking. There is evil in this world and it's easy to look at that and go, there must be no God. But I want want us to think about that for a second. Just logically think about it. The fact that we know that something is evil, something as horrendous as genocide or sex trafficking, the fact that we know that is evil implies something important. It means that we know the difference between good and evil. Let's think about that for a second. We can call it evil means we know the difference between good and evil. We know the difference between right and wrong. The fact that we care about those suffering means for some reason we care about an individual. If you really think about it, the fact that we know the difference of these things implies something important. It implies that we actually believe that there is a God. You see, how else are we to know what is right and wrong? What is good and evil? If there's not some standard. We, we look at these things and we say, there must be something greater than me to make a decision that this is right or wrong. Something greater than my country Greater than my nation, greater than the world itself, that can say this is the way things are. If we don't have that, we actually can't say anything is evil. Everything is just meaningless. So the fact we even struggle with this implies that we have some understanding that there must be a God. Now, a lot of people get to this though, and they go, okay, I can see that there's evil in the world, and I can see that there is a God but now I have another issue. If there is a God and there is evil, uh, does that not mean that God himself is the creator of evil? Well, what does that say about God? I talk to a lot of people, and in particular young people about this, who they may not disagree that there's a God, but they don't like the God that that I'm talking about, and they refuse to follow that God because they think that God is doing things different than they would do, that God is the creator of evil. And I want want you to, to think about this one first a minute as well. We look at things like good and evil, similar to how the Bible uses imagery of darkness and light, or light and darkness. God says, let there be light. Uh, in, In John 1, you see this idea of in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then it goes on to say, in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. We get this idea that God has created light, God has created a way, and the difference between light, the absence of light is darkness. These screens right next to us here, these LED screens. I'm the finance guy at the church as well. I have a vested interest in the media expenditures of Crossings Community Church. I I remember to the penny how much these things cost. And one of the things I remember our media guys talking about is that when these screens go black, What's fascinating is that we don't actually put black light up there, we just turn off the screen. The screen itself turns off. You see, darkness is just the absence of something. It is not something in itself. If God created light and God created a way for us to walk, to walk outside of that way is to walk in darkness. So evil, if you follow me for a second on this, evil, maybe it's not something God created. It isn't something God, God is not the creator of evil. Us abandoning the things that God has done results in us walking in ways of evil. You see a difference in the causality between what God has created and what we experience. Which then leads us to yet another question we have to answer before we ever get to Habakkuk's complaint. The last question we have to answer. We say, well, if God is actually there and evil exists, right?" This is actually something we understand It's not from God. Well, why in the world did God not just make us to where we couldn't walk in the darkness? Doesn't that seem like that would have been a really, really good idea? Right. How could he not, why did he not make it to where Eve just didn't take from the apple? Right, right. Why did that happen? And if you really play that out, you have to think about it. Uh, would it not have been better if we could have just kept from disobeying completely and so I want you to think about the way God has ordered this world in the various different things you engage in. Uh, right now, I am married to my wife. I say right now, I'm not anticipating not being married to my wife. <laughs> I don't know if she's anticipating not being married to me. But Right now, I'm married to my wife. And on a daily basis, I choose to love her. I choose to love her each and every day. And on any given day, if I so choose, I could abandon her. Any given day. Now, don't you think that our love is deeper and more pure and more beautiful and stronger because I choose to be with her each day when I could choose another path? And I want you to think about that in all of our lives. It seems like how God has ordered the universe completely. I, I just, over the last couple of months, I've gotten used to getting back into the habit of going to the gym. And I know you can tell from this incredible muscular physique I've got going on up here. But at the gym, something I'm learning is that, you know, whenever you actually lift weights, and I'm I'm not doing some big ones, but when you lift weights, it breaks down the muscle for it then to build up stronger. The tension that is in the system creates something greater than it was before. I heard Cole and Terry, Terry's son, Cole, did a podcast on talking about evil. And one thing they talked about, I heard Cole use an illustration, and I've used it in about 50 pastoral conversations since then. The University of Arizona did a study. And what they did is they created this ecosystem inside this biodome. And inside the biodome, what they were attempting to do was make sure that plants and everything could grow without any defect whatsoever, no pollutants, nothing. They wanted to see how well everything would begin to thrive in this ecosystem. But something started happening that they didn't expect. They started finding that these trees would grow in this ecosystem and they would get to a certain height and they would fall over. They would grow, get to a certain height, and they would fall over. And they finally figured out what was causing it. The reason they would fall over is because there was no wind inside the biodome. You see, from a very early age, when the little tree begins to grow, there's a breeze that'll hit it. And that breeze sends a signal to the tree to produce roots to make it stronger and to grow deeper. And so as that tree grows, the wind keeps hitting it. And it keeps teaching it to grow stronger and deeper so it can grow into something that it would not have been had it not had pain and tension in the system itself. I think we look at the way God has created this world and it'd be easy to say, why have you made a way for us to go astray? Why have you made a way for us to commit evil? Why have you done that? But what you see is, it seems like God has built something so much more beautiful that because we can go astray, we have a deeper, more stronger, more joyful relationship for Him, all preparing for something that He's got planned. Right? That is the beauty of the design of our God. It's fascinating whenever you really stop and think about it. Every now and then, whenever you find yourself questioning the design of God, the other thing I find helpful is to remind yourself that you're not God. It's a really, really helpful thing. And I say that halfway jokingly, but Whenever I was first getting into reading the Bible, I got to the book of Job and I started reading the book of Job and I go, this isn't how I would do it. And I shut the Bible and I go, this can't be the God I worship and I walked away. And luckily I had a pastor who put his arm around me and said, keep reading. And I got to Job 38 and I saw the beauty of God displayed and I realized when I read Job 38, God's God, I'm not. And he's actually shockingly wiser than a 38-year-old. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, but you see the beauty in God's design. So all this leads us to get back to Habakkuk's initial complaint. We have now set a foundation that says, we know there is a God. We know evil can coexist in this. We know God's not the creator of evil. We understand why God has allowed us to go astray. So now we go to Habakkuk's complaint. Why, oh God, do you idly look at this and do nothing? Why do you do it? It's a legitimate question. I took a call from someone distraught the other day asking this question right here in our church. They were going through immense pain, immense suffering. They had been faithful and they go, why, where is God? Where is he? Is he not there? We all grapple with this question. Now God responds to Habakkuk and he responds in a way different than any one of us would have expected. I'm gonna read you God's response. He said, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. When you hear Chaldeans, I want you to think Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. But he sure is handling this situation a whole lot different than Habakkuk was expecting him to handle the situation. Habakkuk is crying out saying, my people are corrupt and perverted and they they are not executing justice. They are not following your law. And God goes, yeah, I know. I'm gonna raise up the most evil empire of the world to go handle this. I mean, this is not what Habakkuk expected at all. God has a tendency, by the way, to do things different than we expect him to do it. If you remember in the New Testament, all of God's people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise of the coming Messiah. And they've been waiting because they thought the Messiah would come and throw off the oppressors of the day, the Romans. They thought that he'd throw off the political oppression of the day. And God does bring the Messiah, just like he promised, and the Messiah does come off and throw, throw off the oppressors. But what type of oppression does the Messiah throw off? It's the spiritual oppression of the evil forces that they're enslaved by. God does things different than we think he normally does. But in particular with this one, the fact that he chose Babylon, Babylon of all things to be the executor of his justice is shocking. Uh, Babylon is the symbol used all throughout the Bible to be this kind of overarching idea of evil and worldly power. We've, we've, you've seen Babylon show up before you get to this point. You go all the way back into Genesis and you get the first instance of it with the Tower of Babel, right, right here in the same area. Uh, and this will go all the way through the Old Testament. Right after Habakkuk, we'll get the story of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem from the Babylonians. They will exile God's people into Babylon. And then all the way into Revelation, you'll see yet another reference to Babylon as a symbol of the worldly corrupt power as God talks about how Babylon will one day fall right there in Revelation 18. So this symbol of Babylon goes all the way through that God would choose to use them. This would have been a shocking, shocking revelation. And I want you to see, God's not idle, but Habakkuk is... Habakkuk is confused, very, very confused, and so here he comes again. Habakkuk issues his second complaint to God. He says, "This are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure of eyes, you who are of purer eyes, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, who do you idly look at traitors?" And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in the dragnet so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever?" Habakkuk says, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna wait on you to respond to me. He can't believe that this is the way God is going to answer his request. I just want you to get a sense for how shocking this would have been. Do you remember back in 2016 here in Oklahoma City, we had a shocking event occur. We were up three games to one on the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, three games to one. And if you remember those last three games, Kevin Durant didn't play very well. I remember this vividly. He missed a lot of shots he should have hit. That was his opportunity to step up, rise up to the challenge, carry us into the finals, and he just blew it, right? He missed shot after shot, turnover after turnover. And I remember crying out to the basketball gods after we lost in game seven to the Golden State Warriors, crying out to the basketball gods to do something to smite Kevin Durant for what he did. Right? And I, my, my expectation was very reasonable. I was hoping he'd like sprain an ankle, have some time to rehab, think about what he's done, come back next year. And we would defeat the golden state warriors. So I cried out to the basketball gods and the basketball gods answered me. And how did the basketball gods answer me? He went to the evil golden state warriors. This is not what I wanted not at all. Not only did he go to the Golden State Warriors, he went and associated with the evil of all evils, Draymond Green, and then they won championships and he got like an MVP. You know, this is not what we desired. Remember how shocked we all were when that happened? How mad and angry we all were? Well, take that times a thousand, right? And that's where Habakkuk would have been at this point in time. If you can't tell, I'm a little upset still about this whole Kevin Durant situation. Habakkuk would have been absolutely shocked by this. You can carry that illustration on if you really want to, and you can find that if you had just waited on the Lord, waited on the basketball gods for a little bit, where are we now, right? Golden State's at the bottom, we're at the top, and I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant's just a miserable human being. So we're, (laughs) I feel like it's all worked out. But you see God using these evil forces right here in the story, and it does beg a question, can God use evil for good? Can he? Well, Romans says he can, Romans eight twenty eight, uh, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it made me think as I was going through this, well, if, if we said God couldn't use evil for good, he wasn't allowed to use the evil forces of this world, then what would he use? We're all evil, we're all fallen. If he couldn't use evil, he couldn't use me. Pretty sure he couldn't use a few of you in the room, right? He couldn't do it. But the thing is, all bends to God's will. All of it bends to God's will. He can redeem all of this. And so you see God's second response. As Habakkuk has challenged him again about why would you use the Babylonians? God starts to respond and he says this, and the Lord answered me, write the vision Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And what this means is, I really want you to write this down and send it with the messengers. I want you to go and tell everyone what I'm about to tell you. Tell my people about the promise I'm about to make you. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Remember what's gonna happen after this story. The Babylonians are going to destroy Jerusalem. They're gonna destroy the temple. They're gonna carry God's people over to Babylon in exile. How long will God's people be in exile in Babylon? 70 years. He says, wait for it. Tell them to wait for it. Be patient, I'm coming. Then in verse four, he says, behold, his soul, talking about the Babylonians, is puffed up. It's not upright within him. God knows the Babylonians are evil. He's making it known right there but he says something that is the basis for so much of our religion today, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God's saying, I know what I'm doing. I need you to live by faith. Let me channel my inner Terry Fakes for a moment. Replace the word faith with the word trust. We understand the word trust better. I need you to live by by trusting in me. Trust in God, even in the midst of these circumstances. And then in verse five, he begins to pronounce his judgment that will come on the Babylonians. He starts by saying, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. And I'm stretching this interpretation, I know, but whenever I read that verse, the first thing I thought about was how God would eventually judge the Babylonians. Do you remember in the book of Daniel, how, God, how, how the Babylonians end up falling? We, we read about this in the book of Daniel. Uh, The king of Babylon at the time calls forward in the midst of a party for them to bring out the goblets and the fine china and the silverware that they all stole from the temple of Jerusalem before they sacked it. And so they bring out these goblets and they begin pouring wine and partying and drinking out of God's stuff. And then at that point in time, this hand appears on the wall, writing on the wall, and they bring out old man Daniel to interpret it. And he goes, here's what it says. I'll tell you what it says. It says, You've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting. Tonight, your kingdom will be stripped of you and be given to the Persians and the Medes. And you see Babylon fall. Right there, Babylon falls. In Habakkuk, right here, all the way from verse five to the end of chapter two, what you'll see is that God begins to pronounce woes and judgment on Babylon. Each one of them, each one of them relates to something evil that the Babylonians are going to do or have done. God is telling Habakkuk, I will judge this evil in the world, but you must trust me. You must trust me. Wait for it. Go tell people of my promises, wait for it, but I will judge this evil in the world. As you keep going into this text, what you'll find is that the guidance that you see God seemingly give Habakkuk sounds a lot like the guidance we get today. How often do we get the guidance today just as we read our Bibles and we understand this life, this Christian life of following Christ as God's promises are true. God's promises are true. We can count on him. There's evil in this world. There's evil in our midst. We're going to suffer. He tells us that. But but go tell people what I've told you. What's gonna happen? Wait on me. Wait on me, wait on the Lord. And as you do, live by faith. It's, our, it's part of our vision statement right here at Crossings, to live by faith. Live in a way like you trust me with everything. Give it all to me. Live by faith. Trust that I've got this. Trust that I am God and you are not, right? Trust that I've got this. The guidance Habakkuk gets right there from God is the same guidance we have to live through today in the midst of our own evil and in the midst of our own suffering. You notice in this, nowhere yet has the circumstances of Habakkuk changed whatsoever. Not at all, right? But this is the guidance he gives that we can interpret as well as we go through today. As you transition to chapter three of Habakkuk, if you've got your Bibles open, you'll find that it ends with a really big prayer from Habakkuk. He has indeed cried out to God and God has answered him. And I think between chapter two and chapter three in our Bibles, time must have passed. Some sort of time must have passed to allow Habakkuk to really process and pray and understand what it is that God is really conveying to him. You know, What what is he telling him? What does he need to know? And I think a number of core truths about who God is have been revealed uh, to Habakkuk. He understands that there is evil in this world. He understands that Although there is evil, God is not idle. God is faithful. He understands that, in fact, all the great evil of this world will one day come under the judgment of God himself. He sees that God is actually God, not only over Israel, but God is a God who's capable of be gone over all nations, which would have been a bit unheard of at the time. God is powerful over every nation, every empire. God can even use our suffering to grow us and help us better experience his great love. And this thing we call life, this thing we call life, I, just, I can't imagine Habakkuk just having this great epiphany that it's all pointing to somewhere. This thing we experience, the suffering, the pain, the trials, the evil, we can rest assured that it's all pointing in somewhere. When God speaks to Habakkuk, it's like God knows exactly what's gonna happen and he cares, right? He's not just powerful. He's not just sovereign. He's powerful, sovereign, and he loves and he cares for us. It's a beautiful, beautiful combination of our God. So you see Habakkuk really just resonating uh, with all these truths. And maybe the one last truth that I saw that just seems to come through as you read this prayer is Habakkuk learns what I think Job learned. He's not God. He's not God, but God is. God is. And so I want you to just sense that as as we get into this prayer, these core truths that Habakkuk has learned, uh, even in the midst uh, of the evil of this world. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to actually read all of Habakkuk's prayer. And so just sit there and enjoy this this incredible reading you're about to experience. I want you to just ask that the Holy Spirit might reveal to you something as I read this. And we've got more to come afterwards, but as you read it, just put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes for a moment. Feel free to close your eyes if you need to. Just put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes as someone who has experienced evil and suffering and pain, someone who has cried out to God, someone who has remembered some core truths about God, who can now respond with this prayer. So let me read this to you. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from His hand. And there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. And listen to this. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. This is the prayer of response to Habakkuk. I want you to see a model that Habakkuk did in that that prayer. He cries out to God. He cries out to God, acknowledging him as God, and Habakkuk's not. He then remembers a core truth about God which can reorient him in that time. The core truth Habakkuk remembered about God is is God's power and his faithfulness over all of time with his people. He remembered that God is powerful and faithful to his people. And once he remembers that truth, he responds. He cries out, he remembers, he responds. He responds in faith and in praise. And I want you to see this. Habakkuk's circumstances never changed. In fact, his circumstances are only going to get worse. The Babylonians are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. His people get more and more corrupt. His circumstances don't get better. But because he cries out to God, he remembers a core truth of God, he's able to respond to God in faith and praise. And as you do that, as you respond in faith and praise, no matter what circumstances you're going through, it says God is his strength and he is our strength today. We're gonna practice this because there's people right now who are suffering. There are people right now in this room who are going through the impact of the evil in this world. And if you're not, you will. There are trials all throughout this world. And so we're gonna go through a time of a few guided prayers. And if you can, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about a time in your life where you have suffered the impact of evil, you have suffered pain, and it has caused you to doubt God. It has caused you to lose your trust in God. It may have happened many, many years ago. It may be something going on right now but may the Holy Spirit reveal that circumstance to you now. Keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. We've got a few of these. As you hold on to that circumstance, that pain, that evil that is in your life now or has been that has caused you to doubt God, I want you to do now what Habakkuk did. I want you to cry out to God, acknowledge Him as God and plea for mercy. You are going through so much. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost parents and friends. Some of you have been betrayed by the people closest to you. May you cry out to God now, acknowledging Him as God and plea for mercy. you take a few moments to do what Habakkuk did and to remember. Remember a core truth about God that you need to hold on to right now. May the Holy Spirit reveal to you something about God that you need to hold on to. Do you need to remember, do you need to be reminded that God is a forgiving God? Do you need to be reminded that he is good? He's an actually good God who loves you. Do you need to be reminded that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he didn't just die for us all, he died for you. He died for you. Do you need to be reminded that God says, Jesus says he's gone to prepare a place for us. Do you need to be reminded that he says that if you put your trust in me, I will give you peace. What is the truth about God that you need to hold on to today? Pray that prayer. This last prayer, we'll do what Habakkuk did. We will respond in faith. We will respond in faith and praise. We recognize that our circumstances may not change. The fig tree may not blossom. There may be no fruit in our vines. Our bodies may tremble. Rottenness will enter into our bones. Death itself will one day take us, but it will not defeat us. Our circumstances may not change, but we will rejoice in the God of our salvation. May you pray this to God now. Say, I will rejoice in you, O God. I will trust in you, O God. I will put my faith in you, O God. And may you be my strength. Pray that to him now. Okay, may you open your eyes. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand for a moment. This will be the last thing. And one thing I want you to see is that you just had a moment where you've called out to God. I actually pray that God's answered you and you've had an intimate time of prayer with Him right here in this room. But one promise God has given us and one way that He has said He will be with us in times of suffering and pain and evil is that He has given us fellow believers, this beautiful thing called the church, and He will work through each and every one of us to support us and encourage us and love us even in the times of great difficulty. And I want you to just look left and right right now, and I want you to see that although you've prayed prayers individually, God also works communally. He works through all of us. You are not alone in this. You will never be alone in this. We are here together. And so we're gonna read the last few verses aloud of Habakkuk three, the last few verses of this prayer. And as you read it, I want you to listen for the voices all around you. I want you to hear the men and the women all around you and just be reminded that in this world that is full of pain, you are not alone. We're gonna start in verse 16 and just read this with me. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound We will rejoice in the Lord. We'll take the joy of the God of our salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. As you go today, I want you to remember in these times of pain and suffering, we are taught to cry out to God. He will listen. We remember the core truths of God and then we respond. You cry out, you remember, you respond, and God will be your strength. We're gonna sing one verse and one chorus of this beautiful song on the cello and the piano. And Caleb, if you don't mind, will you lead us? Because they do not want to hear my singing voice today, I guarantee Sure, let's sing this together. And it's so sweet to trust in Jesus,
1: just
0: to take him at his word just to God bless you as you go today. May you come back next week and get to hear the man Terry Fakes. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you guys.